Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Welcome to Harmonics, the podcast exploring the ways music and creativity leads us to wellness and healing. I'm Beth Bears. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to bring you this episode of Harmonics today with the amazing Gina Chavez. I first heard her on Brene Brown's podcast. She did the music for Brene's podcast, and I was blown away by her, her story, and then I started listening to her music, and I was like, Amy, Chris, our harmonics producers, I said, we have to have Gina on the show. She's amazing. Not only is she an incredible musician and just voice, a female voice in the arts, but she's also a U.S. State Department ambassador, and I learned so much from her about her travels. We deep dive into ancient cultures with different cultures and their music. We talk about cumbia and chocarera. I hope I said those right, Gina. I think I did. And Uzbekistan, her travels all over the world and how music really unites people and heals them and brings everybody together, even if you may not speak the same language. And I just so... So enjoyed this interview, and I feel like I can now call Gina a friend for life. If you don't know her already, Gina Chavez is a Latin Grammy nominee, multi-ethnic, Austin native, queer, Catholic, internationally acclaimed Latinx pop artist who is redefining Latin music in Texas and beyond a 12-time Austin Music Award winner, including 2015 Musician of the Year and 2019 Best Female Vocals. She is an Austin icon and word is getting out. She has more than a million views on her NPR Tiny Desk concert, and she has done a 12-country tour through Latin America, the Middle East, and Central Asia as a cultural ambassador with the U.S. State Department. I mean, this woman is incredible. One glance at the cover of her new bilingual album, and you'll understand why. You guys, she is La Quemanda, one of my new most favorite albums of all time. So without further ado, here is my interview with the fascinating, magic, magnetic Gina Chavez. What's up? What's up? Oh, my God. Congratulations on your Latin Grammy nomination. Oh my gosh, seriously, thank you so much. I'm I'm still just like, ah! <laughs> I have to hear, did you end up cheating on the whole 30 the night that you got the, the Grammy oh, nomination? Yeah. You did, good. Gina and I were voice memoing back and forth on Instagram. And I was like, she was like, I'm on the whole 30. Do you think I should cheat and have like champagne? I was like, yes! <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you cheated. What did you cheat with? We went out to, there's this really cool place in Austin called Taco Flats, and they have really good mezcal uh, cocktails. Mm. Oh my gosh. I love mezcal. That's my favorite. And Austin has such great food too. Yeah. And they actually have really good food there too. Cause we, my wife and I have a bit of a strange, not not really that strange, but we have a diet that is more conscious, uh, you know? And so for me, it's actually a lot of it's for vocal health. 
And so I'm gluten-free, dairy-free all the time. And then we were on Whole30, so we were doing like all the things. And we were just both like, um, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Well, hopefully not a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but like the biggest moment of my career, we're going to go out for drinks. <laughs> That's awesome. I just recently, um, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free, and mostly plant-based now. And it's been the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also literally I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. Like, yeah. I don't know why. People always say it, but it's so hard to stick to it. But when you do, it's been about three months now. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I love cheese. That's like the thing I miss the most. I thought I would miss cheese. Uh, we actually have we've been dairy free for maybe eight years now. And that was the thing that I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss cheese so much. And honestly, I don't really miss cheese. Well, there's so many alternative options now for yeah. vegan, you know, cheeses and stuff. And it's also just so much better for the animals and the environment. Is that why? Well, you said your voice. So for mostly for vocal health, but also like conscious planet reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, yeah, obviously, like we start we stopped eating red meat because, yeah. uh, you know, once we figured out it was one of the best things you can do for the environment, you know, because we just have an unhealthy uh, demand for meat in this country and your body doesn't really need that much red meat not that you shouldn't eat red meat ever but like we don't really need that much meat and so anyway um so we did americans kind of over consuming <laughs> what i know we watched cows <laughs> what was it called i think it was called cowspiracy like years ago and red mm. meat yeah i mean if, if it's also like if people just literally cut out meat even one day a week it would change the world <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so you got nominated for your Latin Grammy. That is amazing. Um, other than that, how has 2020 been treating you? How are you mentally? How are you feeling without live performance? I just want to hear, like, how you doing? Yeah. Gosh, this year, you know, it's, it's all of the things. Um, I feel like, um, you know, obviously our world is is hurting, you know? Um, and I do think on some level, like our world has been hurting for a long time and our country has been hurting for a long time. And I think the more people are aware of the, the wound now, um, yeah. and that's good. You know, I do think that that's good and it's, it's going to hurt. Like, you know, we we've realized that, oh, wow, we've got a gaping wound and we've been, you know, trying to, to ignore it for a long time. And so I do think, you know, it kind of has to get worse before it gets better. And I, I think that that's good, that we're struggling and actively fighting against racism. Racism. Um, we're more aware of white supremacy and basically every institution being built upon it. You know, so, so obviously, like, it's hard. I do think, you know, as somebody who walks th through this world with uh, light skin, who has pretty much grown up white, um, and has that privilege, you know, I have definitely gotten, you know, I'm excited to learn more. I'm fatigued, you know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm frustrated at myself for being fatigued. You know what I mean? Especially because people of color are like, yeah, welcome to real life. Right. I know. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's all the things. And then obviously for my career, honestly, 2020 has been like probably my most exciting year in my career Yay! so it's it's like all it's all of the things you know but I do think that you know kind of like Brene talks about that joy is the hardest emotion and and I've tried more actively this year like I've felt really joyful like I have really instead of having that foreboding joy where I'm like oh my god but what if I don't win the Latin Grammy or oh my god what if you know Beth Bears doesn't call me for the podcast or whatever right <laughs> like I'm not doing that as much I'm I'm more just like this is so cool like I'm so grateful I'm so excited I'm trying to just really like bask in the beauty of the joys and the blessings. And at the same time, hold in my heart that I have a responsibility to do something with whatever platform I have to try and make a difference in myself first. And then in this world, because we need it for you. Is it, I mean, you and I have a similar background in that we both grew up very Catholic, but I think we have a very different, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm, I'm no longer Catholic by definition. I am very spiritual. I believe in a higher being, 
But I had a very tumultuous relationship with organized religion. And I want to hear, because you are so spiritual, you're so magnetic on stage, you seem to have such deep faith, which I love seeing that because I feel like we all need to be tied to something bigger than ourselves because it makes Mm -hmm. us empathetic. But how has that journey been for you? And how come you didn't rebel like me? (laughs) (laughs) You know, gosh, I could talk the whole podcast about this. Um, Do it. We love like spirituality and religion on this. Seriously. And and marrying your wife and meeting her in the church. Like I I love your story and I want to hear all about it. So take as much time to tell us because this is is what harmonics is all about. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly... Like my Catholic faith was such, it's such a huge part of, it's such a huge part of who I am. It's a huge part of my heart. Um, But I will say like when I was in uh, high school and college was kind of like, I was so in it. Like I, to the point where, you know, I went to World Youth Day um, when John Paul II was Pope. And so World Youth Day is basically the Pope goes somewhere in the world and then all the youth in the world go to him. And so it's like this humongous, like Catholic youth thing. And so we were in um, Ottawa and Toronto um, when he was there. And, you know, like that was the kind of stuff, like I went to college and I was like, oh, I'm going to become a party girl and, you know, whatever. (laughs) And literally, literally started going to daily mass. Like I had all these plans to like, you know, rebel and do the things. And I always found myself being like the one that wasn't drunk at parties. And like, I would, you know, and I was just like, but I think for me, it was because I really, like, I really fell in love with my faith. You know, I, I, beautiful. I was so Catholic, total Catholic nerd, like the kind that would, you know, we'd stay up late at retreats and like be talking about, you know, transubstantiation and like, you know, the Trinity and like metaphysical things like time, like anyway. So was that from your parents? Like, was your faith that strong as a child because of your upbringing or? I mean, I think I just got like, I really, I would say it started in high school and I had really cool like youth leaders, you know, like youth group leaders. And I think like it started as a Bible study with one of my friends who I'm still friends with today and she led it and she was just like one of the coolest people I've ever known. You know what I mean? And like she was amazing, like beautiful, like servant heart, you know, like just and I think I just had so many people like that in my life and and cool outlets to be a Catholic nerd, Uh, (laughs) you know, but I guess, so here's the thing. So I, I start getting into, gosh, I could literally go dive deep into the rabbit hole, but, um, there's this thing called the theology of the body and Mm -hmm. without really getting into it, it's very, it's very much based on that there is a theology in our bodies, right? And it's very much based on a man and a woman, right? It's very much based on like you, like how the, the very body of, you know, a man images Christ, the very body of a woman images the church, you know, and the giving and receiving of love, which can also be imaged in, you know, the sexual act and like all, all this kind of stuff. Right. So I'm like super getting into this with my boyfriend at the time and we're in college and I'm like super into it. And around this time I am literally unbeknownst to me, I'm like falling in love with Jody, who is my wife, right? Like, and I'm going through all of this and I mean, (laughs) like, I can't even, I can't even describe the process of like coming, coming out to myself, coming to grips with the fact that I was a lesbian. I mean, it was, it was devastating. It was devastating to me. You know, I, here I'm like in the theology of the body, like with my boyfriend and completely just in it. I'm like, yeah, I'm there, you know, God, I get it. Like this all makes so much sense. Like I've got this great guy and all these things who I was trying really hard to love, by the way. Um, <laughs> Poor guy. He just didn't yeah, do it for you just, after all. It, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he understood. He forgave, I'm oh sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, you know, so... You know, and then I meet Jody, and we meet at the University of Texas Catholic Center um, at this retreat called Longhorn Awakening. And so, again, there's so many details to all of this stuff, but Longhorn Awakening is there's like 120 staffers, there's 60 retreatants. It's ginormous. You plan wow. it for like half a year. It's this huge thing, right? Well, 
Jody and my friend Lauren and I, we meet, we get really close and we are like a trio. We are inseparable. We're just like really growing in our faith. We're so connected. But um, my, I didn't know it was love. Like I didn't know I was in love with Jody. Okay. You know, I, I knew I wanted to be around her all the time. And for me, looking back on my whole life, I'm, I can see I'm like, oh, I'd felt this way about many girls before. But like for me, it was never sexual. So it okay. never was like obvious that I was in love. It was always just like I wanted to be around that girl all the time or I wanted to like, you know, like hang out or whatever it was. And so, you know, with Jody, I, I kind of feel like it was like trying to love my boyfriend was like trying to push start a train. Trying to not love Jody was like trying to stop one. Whoa. And I couldn't, like, I tried so hard to pray my own gay away. I tried so hard to stiff arm any thought I've had about her. And part of the piece in my journey that was so important was I actually was going to spiritual direction um, with uh, a nun. Her name is Sister Sharon. And I go to, so I go to a Paulist church, which is like, Paulist is just another like order. So like the Benedictines or the Franciscans. Or, okay. So Paulist priests are a certain order. And they actually are like really good homilists. Like they give good sermons, which no, normally Catholic priests aren't known for giving good sermons. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but they actually are, you know, really good homilists. And they're also tend to be more progressive. They're an order that actually gets, they travel around the world a lot of times. And so anyway, they're, I feel like their view on things and the way that they serve communities is very much based in like Catholic social teaching and very more progressive on the progressive side of Catholicism. So anyway, that's just to say that like I was going to, you know, I'm going to this Paulist parish and I'm going to Sister Sharon, um, to spiritual direction and I'm talking to her somehow about how I have feelings for this girl, or I, I don't even know if I described it that way. I think it was more just like, I always want to be around her. I don't know what that is. I don't know what's going on. And three times during our like hour long session, she was like, Gina, have you discerned your sexuality? And I was like, what are you talking? About? Like, it was not an not option even. in my brain. Like it was not me being gay was so far from my reality that it was just like, I was sitting there and I was like a Catholic nun has asked me three times to discern my sexuality. <laughs> like, oh. maybe I should do that. Do that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so anyway, so I was like, you know, and discernment essentially is just like talking to God and deciding something okay. with God. Like, it's basically like, hey, God, like, help me. Are you figure, cool with this? Yeah, figure this <laughs> thing out. Like, what, how, yeah. how did you make me? Who am yeah. I? Right? Okay. And so anyway, so I would like, I conducted this experiment with myself. And so I was like, okay, I'm walking down, you know, like campus and I'm like, who am I attracted to? Right. Like, who am I? And I'll be like, oh, that guy hot. That guy's hot. Right. Like, I think he's cute, you know, but like, that was it. He passed and I'm cool, you know? And there were these two very specific times where I'm at a concert, both times I were at a concert. And I remember looking over and like seeing a girl and being like, it was like tractor beam. It was just like. I'm going to walk over to her. Whoa. And like, I'd never experienced that. I think because I never allowed myself yeah. to experience that. Right? Yeah. And there were these two specific moments where I was just like, oh my God, like that girl is gorgeous and I want to go talk to her. Like I, you know, like, like as opposed to like, hey, that guy's hot. Cool. I'm done. Like, it, like right. yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't care anymore. <laughs> Walk along, sir. Walk along. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and not that it's all about physical attraction yeah, by yeah, any means, yeah. but I do think that like having that experience, I was like, oh, wow. Well, for, with Jody, that was like, I mean, I was, I was in love with her. Like I would think about her all the time. Of course, at some point it did, you know, become more sexual for me. And so then I'm just like, okay, God, what is this? And so then I was just like stiff arming every time I thought about her, which if you know what being in love is like, you think about that person all the time, right? Oh man. <laughs> and pushing it down, anything yeah. down just makes it even more, you know, right? yeah. <laughs> What you focus on just grows. Yeah. Oh my God. Aww. You know, and so like I spent months doing that and, um, you know, I, I literally like after probably three months of doing that, I was like, oh, it just, of some, un, you know, exciting day, I was like, oh, I'm in love with her. 
this is me being in love and this is a beautiful thing and it's from God. And, and like, and at that moment I was like, that I think was me coming out to myself. Beautiful. Yeah. And how was Jody? was her experience? Like, what was the moment that you were like, I'm going to say something or did you not say something or did she say it? Like what happened? Okay. So I write this song that I have never released, but is probably, whew, even thinking about the song, it makes me want to cry. Um, and this is why I had, like, I don't play it really a lot because every time I have played it, which is like twice, I like burst into tears on stage. Um, so I, I feel like I came out to myself, but I still didn't quite know. It was like, I was like, I'm gay. It's, and like, and it's okay, but I don't really know what to do about it. Like, I don't know, does that actually mean that I can be with this girl? Is she gay? Like, I mean, there's all of the yeah. things, right? You know, and I, I felt like, I felt like I had to, like, I had to tell her that I was in love with her, but I also needed for it to be like a safe, a safe space. Yeah. And so remember my friend Lauren I talked about? So like, I'm telling, so it's, it's St. Patrick's Day. And <laughs> Fitting. And we're like getting like wasted and at a, <laughs> at a bar. <laughs> And, and I was like, Lauren, I think I'm in love with Jody. And she looks at me and she goes, duh. <gasps> wow. And I was like, what? I was like, you've known? She's like, yeah, obvious. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So funny. So anyway, so I was like, look, I don't know what I literally, Jody rolls her eyes at me every time I tell this story because I'm like, I feel like I got a vision from God. <laughs> That I had to tell Jody, but Lauren had to be there because I was like, I don't want it to be like, I tell you and then we make out or whatever. And it's, I just didn't, I wanted it to be a safe space. You know what I mean? Um, and I was so pure then. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so I go over to her house and Lauren's there and I had planned, I'd planned this and I like come out to Jody and basically I'm like, look. I'm in love with you and I think I need to like step away and, you know, let you have your space or whatever. Right. Cause I didn't know, I, I didn't know if she was going to hate me. I didn't, I mean, I didn't yeah. know what was going to happen. And so I sing her this song and she literally says nothing. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to go now. <laughs> so like I leave and she said it was like the most awkward thing with her and Lauren there. And she's always, she's always been mad at me for like making that the situation. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So fast forward a week later, we're at a, we're at a Catholic party and she, she has been like pre-gaming with some friends with tequila and we get to this party and she's like all over me and it's a Catholic party. Like all of our friends are Catholic and I'm like, what are you doing? What is happening? Like, whoa, what's going on? You know? So eventually we end up leaving and it's Lauren and Jody and I, and we drop Lauren off and she's really drunk. <laughs> and, um, and she goes, I get out of the car to like walk her up to her door and she goes, be good to each other. Be good to Jesus. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. So I get Aww. back in the car and Jody was like, um, I can't find my apartment keys. And I was like, okay, I Guess you can stay at my house. <laughs> Smart, Jody. Smart move, girlfriend. I still am like, I, I think you had I think keys. you might have, yeah, yeah. totally. She's Aww. to this day, she's like, no, I, I couldn't find my keys. And I was like, And yeah, the rest right. of your friends, like, did they, because they were so Catholic, were they immediately open arms, loving, accepting? Or did it take time? So, so <laughs> we didn't really, we didn't really come out to people Okay. Like, it. and part of it was, I actually wasn't in college at this point. Like I got involved in the Catholic center, my junior year of college and Jody's three years younger than me. So, oh, so wow. part of it too, is that like, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was like older and not totally part of the like college community at that point. So it kind of gave me, I think a little bit more freedom, Yeah, you know, whereas Jody was still like hanging out at the Catholic center all the time and was all that kind of stuff. Anyway. Okay. So she comes over to my house and it's kind of like the rest, the rest is history. Um, yeah. but, but I do remember, I think a very, like a, such a huge moment was like the first time that we kissed, which was that night. 
I remembered thinking, okay, it's going to be all like, we're going to kiss and then it's going to be over. Like, it's going to be weird or like lightning will strike us or you know what I mean? Like something stupid, something crazy will happen or it will be the most awkward thing I've ever experienced. And I'm serious in that kiss. I understood more about love than I had ever. Like I all of a sudden was like, wow, I, this is the most beautiful and pleasurable thing I've ever experienced. But I also realize that if she doesn't want it, I don't want it. You know, and right. and physical pleasure is it's it can be a very selfish thing. Like you want your body wants the thing, you know, like it, your body and and so for me it was like to have that moment where I was like I want to give myself to her, but if she doesn't, doesn't want if if she doesn't want it, then I don't want it. Right, and absolutely. And I'm sitting there in that moment, like WTF God, like this is the most (laughs) beautiful thing I've ever experienced. This is the most God-like thing I've ever experienced. And my whole life has told me this is wrong, you know? And so anyway, so, and Pope John Paul II actually talked about something called phenomenology, which is the idea that we experience God in phenomenon. We, we experience God. You know, like in our, in our physical human form, God can come to us. And, and that for me was a moment of like, like truly experiencing God. And I was like, what, this can't, this This can't be wrong. This can't be, it's not, it's not only not wrong, it is God. It's God. Yeah. And then the very next day, guess what we did? We went to a softball game. (laughs) It was like, I mean, it was like we woke up and we were like, and now we're lesbians. <laughs> oh we my have gosh. To go to a, and it was so weird. Wait, I didn't even think about it until probably like two years ago. And I was like, oh my God, our first actual like date. Not that we thought of as a date, but it was like, we went somewhere together. And I was like, we went to a softball game. Oh my God. That's awesome. <laughs> and so at that point you said you had written her a song, but you didn't start writing until you were 18, right? Like it was like your beginning of college when you actually started, you picked up the guitar? Yes, very nice, Beth. I do my research on you, Gina. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Like finding, well, what was your musical background in childhood? And then, I mean, was that through the church that you first fell in love with music? So I had always loved singing since I was a kid. And uh, it was my, I was. 12 years old, I think I was in sixth grade and I couldn't get into art class. And I like to say that, you know, like I, I grew up in the times of the pre glee years before choir was cool. Right. <laughs> Me so, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like choir was not something you wanted to be in. <laughs> I, I just want you to know that I had first soprano written on my high school graduation cap and gown. Ooh, okay, so girl. I was really cool. <laughs> and it was not cool to be in magicals or at the advanced choir. <laughs> Did you were, you, were you in musicals? Oh yeah. Musicals are still my life. I love yeah. musical theater. Did yeah. you, what part, that's, do you have like a favorite part? Oh gosh. I really like uh, a few years ago, it was between me and uh, Laura. Like it was, I was in the running for My Fair Lady on Broadway and that was my ultimate like you can't get better than Eliza Doolittle acting singing everything like can't do better Julie Andrews you know originated it um but it didn't it didn't happen and then when they called me when she was leaving to see maybe if there would be a chance I could do it and I was already on a tv show so I never got to but maybe someday someday, maybe someday someday. but yes so it's we'll play at the seat on this podcast but so okay so you music yeah so anyway I I can't get into art. And my mom was like, Gina, you've always loved to sing. Why don't you get into choir? And I was like, gross. Choir's not cool. (laughs) But I ended up getting into choir anyway. And we had one of the first things we had to do was sing Amazing Grace in front of our peers. And we had a big choir. We had a choir of like 40 kids or something. Wow. And that was where I pretty quickly realized I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Like, you know, because I was hearing people individually and and hearing myself you know, in front of people. And, and that was kind of where I was like, Oh, all right. Like I sound, I sound pretty Pretty good. good. Like, (laughs) 
you know, and I think it's always like, it's such a beautiful thing, I think, to discover, especially at a young age when you do have a talent for something. And so, you know, from then on, honestly, I was like a complete choir nerd um, and had great public high school choir programs. Um, Uh, Amen to public arts programs. mm -hmm. I was so grateful to have that too, but so many people don't, side note. Yeah. 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 We've been defunding our public schools for so long. So, so long. Yeah. Hopefully we get some new leadership in there in the 2021 <laughs> and uh, that changes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, it was a really cool, it was a really cool time. Then I get to college. I went out one night with my parents, actually. Um, I was 18, so I still couldn't get into 21 and up clubs. And they had to get me in the door at the Continental Club, which is kind of a famed place in Austin, a famed venue. And we were seeing a blues singer. Her name is Tony Price. And she had two guitar players with her and she didn't play an instrument. But something about that concert made me go home and be like, dad, don't you have a guitar in the closet? And I had remembered that every, I don't know, 10 years of my life, (laughs) he would like pull out a guitar and play one song, you know? (laughs) And so I was like, don't you have a guitar in the closet? And he pulls out a 1954 Martin. Oh my God. Yeah, I only know about this because my husband's a huge guitar nerd. So I, I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. So that had been sitting in the closet like my whole life. And but you play Gibsons now, you I cheater. Do. Yeah, Even I though do. you started with a Martin. <laughs> um, you know, and so I, I sat down that night and it's actually, it's a triple O, which is a small body and I'm kind of a small person. And so it was one of those things where it just like, I put it in my lap and it fit, you know, and I immediately kind of took to the guitar um, and then, yeah, I think in, I went into, you know, like in college, I really got into, uh, praise and worship music, like in high school and co- my high school, like youth program. Right. Okay. And, you know, so I, I started learning what I call happy Christian chords. There's like these really kind of easy open chords, you know, that are very like happy. Um, totally. And so I was all into, you know, the three chord, like Christian songs and, Whenever I would try to, I tried learning that song more than words. Saying <laughs> I love you. It's not, oh, so like yes. that song, yeah, it has a bazillion chords in it. And of course it's also kind of a creepy song now that yeah, like, now you really it's look. Yeah, so it. true. There's a lot of those these days where you go back and you're like, hmm, like baby, it's cold outside. That was not right. And I used to sing that as a little girl. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but I literally tried to learn that song and I think I got to like chord number four and I'm a baby guitar player. I can barely like switch chords. And I was like, oh, forget this. I'm going to write my own song with two chords and it's going to be great. Wow. So you just immediately started writing your own music. Yeah, kind of. And there was, was it the music came first, the lyrics came first? Is there a process for you and how that your creative process works or is it kind of sporadic? However, it it comes about? I think it's grown over the years, but I, I tend, I'm very driven by rhythm, which is another reason I think I really love guitar. Like I'm very much a rhythm player and rhythm is very, I would say if there's a through line in my music, which does cross across a lot of genres, I would say rhythm is the through line. And, um, so that's one reason I love the acoustic guitar and I love, well, any guitar, but that's when I, you know, when I, I just, I don't know. It's just like, like you have a drum kit as well as a, you know, as well as melody and, and harmonics. In La Que Manda, it seems like, I mean, I feel that now that you're talking about, there's like a tribal, almost like, like I was listening to it in my dressing room actually all day today, but like I felt myself like sort of the rhythm of my body moving with, and and I I wanted to ask you about it because I was like there's something almost like ancient about your sound on your EP. started writing songs were they in Spanish because now your albums are bilingual or all Spanish like La Que Manda but how how was that process from your your heritage and growing up because I think listeners definitely want to know this story (laughs) so I'm half Mexican half Swiss German I'm a third generation Texan um my dad's side of the family is from Coahuila from Saltillo in Mexico 
And my mom's side of the family is from Bootsberg, uh, Switzerland, which is um, like the German part of Switzerland in Bern. I didn't like I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. Um, you know, of course, my dad grew up at a time when, you know, his mom, it wasn't it wasn't good to teach your kids Spanish. It wasn't good to, you know, speak Spanish. It wasn't good to shout to the world that you were Latino, you know. And so, of course, that's what our country has done to many, many a people, um, you know, and so then there's whole generations of people like myself that are like, feel a strong connection to our heritage. Like I've always, always felt this like una llamada, like a, like a call inside of me, you know, to really embrace that part of myself and decided when I was in college, I was like, I'm going to go to Argentina, um, to do a study abroad. I don't really know why Argentina, honestly. And that was sort of where you, when did it come into like the writing part for you of your music? Like, gosh, it feels like it was already in your soul already. And it just was waiting to be expressed. Well, that's why I like this album in a lot of ways feels like, it feels like this amazing culmination of like my whole life. It's very interesting because, so, you know, I go to Argentina, I was a baby songwriter at that point. So I had this little travel guitar with me and you know, at that point still wasn't writing in Spanish or anything. But when I got back from Argentina, I immediately tried to write a song in a chacarrera. And chacarrera is a is a folkloric rhythm from Argentina that I fell in love with when I was there. I was just like so fascinated. And it was it was something completely different than I'd ever heard in Texas. You know, like when you say Latin music from Texas, like people think Tejano, Ranchera, Mariachi, like they and that's kind of I don't play any of those styles at this point, you know? And so people always put me in a box and I'm like, no, I actually really don't belong there at all. (laughs) But I was so inspired by like the sounds of South America and, you know, even Andean music. I I play a little instrument called a charango and, um, you know, and so I just got super into like the Nueva Trova movement, which, or Nueva Cancion movement, which is like, kind of like the Greenwich Village scene of Latin America. And so there were all these songwriters, Mercedes Sosa, Violeta Parra, um, Silvio Rodriguez, like all of these singers that very much had these like messages, these mensajes, you know, social justice, you know, um, change. And at the same time, the songs still had like that sabor, right? It had like Latinness, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't it. like just straight up American folk music, you know, that was like, ding, 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 you know, <laughs> or super like mellow, sad, you could like yeah. move to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just like, what is this? This is amazing. Blew my mind. And that's really what kind of started me on a journey to trying to write music in Spanish. And people loved it. What's so weird is I remember, so I had this one song on my first album called Embrujo. And it was like this ode to Argentina. And I would play in coffee shops, you know, and no one cares, you know, when you're playing (laughs) in a coffee shop, you're just sitting there and they're doing their homework or whatever. And I would inevitably have people come up to me and be like, hey, do you have any more of that flamenco stuff? And I was like, well, it's not flamenco. And no, I only have that one song, (laughs) you know? Wow. But it was so crazy because the audiences I was singing to were mostly English speaking, but I, it was very evident that people liked that sound. They, you know, and so I was like, I love this. They love this. Let's do it. You know? And so I just kind of started infusing Spanish and Latin rhythms into my music. I was just thinking like, what do you think it is about that sound like for non-native speakers, because this is what I love. And this is why we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I love the universality of the power of music. And so for the non-Spanish speakers to be like, what is that song? I need that. I wonder, what is that to you? Like, what do you think hit them? You know, I do think I've heard from a lot of people that they like my Spanish stuff more even than my English. And I think part of it is because I do actually feel like I access some different part of myself. Like when I sing in Spanish, I feel like I'm singing from a different place. Wow. So I think that is probably part of it. I also think that, you know, just like me, I long for sounds that are different 
than what I've heard, you know? And so I've had a chance to travel the world with the U.S. State Department, and I've been in places like Saudi Arabia and Uzbekistan and uh, Venezuela, Jordan, Bahrain, you know, and some places that are kind of off the beaten path from where you would mostly travel. And man, like, I remember being in Jordan and I had a chance to actually uh, swim in the Red Sea. And I go in the morning and I go swim in the Red Sea and there's like fish jumping around me. And I come up out of the water and there's this boat speeding, speeding by with you know, like Jordanian pop music or something. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> I, I, I just love it. I, I love that it's not, you know, you can go places in the world where there's not a McDonald's and like, it's yeah. not so Americanized and all you're experiencing is just America everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I don't know, it's so refreshing because I'm like, God, like diversity is our greatest strength, you know? And so I think a piece of it, might just be that people are like, oh, what's that? I've never heard that. That sounds cool, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, and then there's the other piece that I think Latin music, not necessarily the style I, I was playing, like Chacarera doesn't necessarily fit this, but Afro-Caribbean music mm. is really like the root of so much of our music. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you've ever heard like a kind of a breakdown of the clave. Do you know what the clave is? I don't. I've heard the name clave or I've heard the, the word clave, but I don't know. Yeah. So clave is, it means key. And okay. it also, so it's, it's a, it's a, an actual specific rhythm. It's also the instrument. So like if you like those wood block, wood sticks, yeah. like they'll call them the clave, right? So, but it's because they play basically the foundation of Afro-Caribbean music, which, you know, you would think like salsa, merengue, um, even reggaeton, like a lot of those like dance styles of, of Latin music and even our pop music. So if you think of you've probably it's heard that, right? It's an every club. It's yep, club. Totally. Or like think yeah. about the hand drive. Da, yeah. 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 So all that is, is them stealing the clave. So the clave is the three side and the two side. Dot, 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 right? Now ah. you can you can reorder it. There's a two, three. You can interpret the beats differently. So there's son clave, there's rumba clave. Like it's a lot more complex than that. But there's a reason that that music makes you want to dance. And it's because there's tension. So the three side and the two side, there's a space in between them. And the space, there's tension that literally makes your body want to move and fill it. So it's like, you know, dun 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 So the wait time between the three and the two is where your body's like, okay, ba 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 ba. So like that that's why your body's like, I don't know, I don't know what's happening, but I just have to like, mm, okay, like I'm doing something. Whereas when you're listening to like do do cha do 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 cha do 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 cha, like the only thing you really want to do is bob your head. You're like, okay, right. Ah. That's so <laughs> interesting what you're saying about clave because that's also the basic structure of the music of comedy. Because <laughs> it's all about spacing the tension. You know, especially I, I've done sitcoms for ten years and they're even more so there's sort of a music to sitcoms that you have to hit, but it's all about finding where the tension releases. And it's the same kind of thing, like that you're bringing the audience along and they're the bigger, the tension, the bigger, the release, which means the more they're going to feel it emotionally. And that, I just love that because I feel like I just had a humongous aha moment about finally the bridges between why I think music and comedy are so related. <gasps> yes, oh. I love it. Thank you, God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so cool. And the, the U.S. State Department ambassadorship, just because I have no idea how this works, how I've never met someone who was a U.S. State ambassador. Is that through the arts, through your music? How did that come to be? Yeah, there's, so there's grant programs. Um, part A very small part of your tax dollars actually go to help fund programs like this. By the way, like great. This. Yeah, that makes me yes. feel great about where my money's going, actually. Yes. <laughs> Um, there is good being done in the world by yes. our country. Yes. Small, small parts of it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's programs. So there's one of them that's called American Music Abroad. And I, um, 
I actually, uh, I, we applied for that program with my band and we got in and we got to go, I, we've gotten to go so many places, but then we also did well because every embassy in the world, you know, the part of their goal is to build partnerships on the ground with local organizations, but also to share American culture and to share our music and our dance and, you know, to bring in professors of all kinds of things and whatever. So we did really well, you know, in our, in, in the posts, like in Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and, and all over Latin America. And then they talk to each other. So then I would get invites from like Kyrgyzstan or Jordan or, Whoa. you know, Kazakhstan. And they'd be like, Hey, do you want to come to Kazakhstan? And I'd be like, yes, I do. <laughs> wow. And you, you would know, go and play a concert basically and give us talk or was it both or? Yeah. So they program all kinds of stuff. A lot of it is doing like outreach kind of stuff so we do workshops with kids we Aww. would go to you know nursing homes we would play for kids with disabilities we would visit like you know what you might think of as like a like a shanty town or you know and go kind of like play for the kids there and then we would do free public concerts at some really cool spots like one of them I mentioned the Red Sea we literally played it on an amphitheater overhanging the Red Sea for a Jordanian wow. audience that was divided by men and women, you know, like they had basically all women or, or married men with their families. And then the other side was all single men. And here we are a band fronted by a woman with a bunch of guys like on the stage singing in English and Spanish, <laughs> like the whole, I was just like, what do they think right now? Like, this is so interesting, Wow. you know, and then a call to prayer happened like during a concert and we all just kind of stopped and, and like, we just stood there and they started clapping. Cause I guess we were, you know, honoring the fact that they had a call to prayer but I, wow. the whole thing, I mean, so many really incredible experiences. Um, Has that influenced your writing? I mean, I would imagine that sort of cross-cultural travel and experiencing that, not many people get to do that. And I feel like that has to show up in your music. Is that part of your your process? Yeah, you know I, mean? I think, you know, the honest question, Beth, is that the thing that I need to do m way more of is really reflect mm. Um, for me, songwriting is the hardest part. That is the, I will get up on a stage in front of people any day. Um, but if I don't sit down at home and fight through, you know, my experience in the world and, and dig deep, then I don't have anything to perform when I get on that <laughs> stage, you know? <laughs> right. You know, so I do think that like on some level, there is a lot more music there than I have let out at this point. Um, but yes, I have written songs. Um, there's one specific that is, it's called let it out and it's literally a dance song, but it's part of it is like this tribute to all these different places that we've been on all over the world. And the fact that every culture loves to dance. Yeah. And even here, like people of course, think that they don't, you know, certain types of people think they don't want to, everybody, everybody, dances. everybody wants Come to on. dance. Everybody wants to dance. And everybody you know? can do it. Even if you look silly. <laughs> So I'm in um, one of the pretty wildest experiences we have. We went to Uzbekistan and we were asked to play. We were, play, it was like a, it was a competition. We didn't know it was a competition, but <laughs> it was like, I don't know, summer music camp meets international travel meets like the UN or something. Cause there were 150 different bands from all over the world performing at this festival that also had like a competition part to it. They asked us to bring cowboy hats because we were from Texas. I literally awesome. had to go. This is so sad, but I literally had to go buy a cowboy hat. My God, you could have borrowed them from me. I have so many <laughs> and I'm not from Texas. We literally, I was like, how do people travel with these things? There's like all, like I made my band all buy cowboy hats too. And we were all just like, you get, how do we, what do you we get do? hat boxes. I have some. If you also need to borrow travel hat boxes again, when you go back to Uzbekistan, <laughs> Oh my gosh. So we're, we're literally playing at Registan Square, which you should totally Google. It's gorgeous. It's basically a 14th century madrasa, which is um, a school. It's a, it was a, an Islamic university. Wow. But the, you're talking about the 14th century. You're talking about the seat of civilization, really. And like the Silk Road, the heart of the Silk Road, you know, that ICAT pattern or ECAT uh -huh. that comes from Uzbekistan. Like that comes from wow. Central Asia and everybody wears the most beautiful silk garments in these gorgeous colors. 
And then the, the buildings are stone. It's almost as if you took a beautiful quilt and you threw it up and put it in stone. Like all of the buildings are ungodly gorgeous with just these incredible like geometric patterns and colors and everything. So, so we're literally playing with this, you know, like madrasas, like three buildings, you know, um, surrounding us. And I'm just like, what is this? What is happening? And we had learned a song song in Uzbek. It's called Nazar Nazar. And can you sing a little bit of that? Um, yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. I spent like my, my, uh, I think the long flight basically listening to it over and over and over and over again. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so crazy. It's literally like, it's literally like one chord. The whole song. So it's not very exciting. Um, (laughs) Samarkand in your sala. Boshita tu pusara. Samarkand in your sala. Anyway. <laughs> I love it. Gina, you know what's so crazy about you? I mean, I've never had the pleasure of seeing you live, but God, I can't wait till COVID's over that I can come (laughs) see you in all the shows you're going to do after you win all your Grammys. But I just think as a performer, like you are the magnet. Because like even just listening to that, your performance of it, I don't know what the heck you were saying. And I was riveted and also my body. <laughs> you are magnetic when you perform. And I just, everything, I your NPR Tiny Desk concert, which everybody listening should check out if they haven't, but you will be so inspired and moved by everything Gina does on stage. You're you're truly magic. Oh, thanks, friend. Appreciate it. Sus manos están atadas Su voz no puede más No sabe a I really want to talk about Aya because I love the song, but I love the music video and everything that you put out into the world with that. So could you tell everybody listening how that came to be? Yes. So, um, so Aya, which in Spanish means she, it was really, I think the, the message of the song was very much inspired by my song in English that's called She Persisted, which was very much based on the moment that Mitch McConnell silenced Elizabeth Warren on the Senate floor. But then the fact that that became a movement, mm-hmm. you know, that that hashtag She Persisted, you know, blew up and people are, you know, and then the Women's March and just everything behind that. And then, of course, comes the Me Too movement. And, you know, and here we are really reckoning with racial injustice in our country. And, um, you know, and even, gosh, this year celebrating the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage. You know, like there's so many things this year that are kind of just like coming up and demanding our attention. And I think, um, so honestly, it was in quarantine. I had been on tour March 8th. I get back from tour and I used to tour every weekend. I basically would fly um, every Wednesday, come back every Sunday, fly out every Wednesday. Like, you know, I was gone all the time. And I have a five-piece band and we would tour all over the place. And so we come back March 8th and the world shuts down. And of course, everybody's pivoting and trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, I started... Um, live streaming a lot and, you know, trying to still stay in touch with people and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the really cool thing about quarantine has been that I've gotten to spend a lot of time with Jody, and we've spent more time together, you know, consecutively than we ever have in our whole, you know, relationship. And so that's been really beautiful, but also hard, you know? So I think any people that are cooped up in a space for, you know, any period of time, even though we have a new house that we bought, you know, we love each other dearly. We love being together. It's not always sunshine and roses, you know? And so I think it was in April that I started hearing all these spikes of, um, domestic abuse calls, you know, all over the world. It was like all these articles were coming out and, 
And I just, gosh, for a matter of, I don't know, maybe a week or something, I just every morning would just wake up with this like, like feeling on my, just like, you know, it was just really weighing on my heart that I was like, wow, I have a wonderful situation here and it's not great all the time. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine what it's like for somebody whose home life is not safe ever. And that's the only place they have to go. Like there is nowhere to go, you know? And and then imagine if you're in a, you know, two bedroom apartment with multiple people or whatever, like any number of situations. And so it just really weighed on my heart. It was around the time that Brene had launched her podcast and she had a conversation with Tarana Burke. I think it was the first show actually, um, or the first uh, interview that she had with Tarana Burke, who was the founder of the Me Too movement and has been so, you know, on the front lines of survivors of domestic violence for so long. And so that conversation mixed with kind of the, you know, rise in domestic violence all over the world, mixed with my own experience. Um, I literally was working out and it just came to me. I was like, what if we reached out to dancers around the world and got them to like film themselves in quarantine as a way to like reclaim the domestic space for survivors of domestic violence? And, but of course I had no idea how to do that. And so we called a good friend and an incredible um, filmmaker, Lisa Donato, and she's an, like, she's, she is so amazing. She's such an amazing person. Um, and she literally took this idea and ran with it to the point where she helped raise $4,000 for a local organization. Um, and people can continue to donate to this actually on the video. You can like, we'll put it in our, uh, our notes on the podcast. So everybody listening can check it out and then donate. And so, and so Survive to Thrive is a local organization in Austin that's literally lifting people out of unsafe situations and putting them in hotels. And um, I think to date they've been able to pull, to put three women um, and their children in safe spaces. And of course, want to do way more of that. Um, they also have a phone bank and have started feeling, fielding like all of the calls that come into Austin. I think they now field like 80% of the calls that come, you know, from the Austin area. You know, and so we're really just trying to raise awareness, but, but honestly, so I got, you know, we got these dancers and Lisa was able to really direct it to where it, it it's a beautiful video. It's gorgeous. Um, it's and then she so also, moving. she also has actors that she reached out to from around the world. Um, you know, and I don't know, I just, the, the way that she pulled it all together, I'm just in awe. <laughs> well, and your beautiful song. Don't forget that main part of the video as well. I love that you did that, Gina. That's so awesome. You're such an activist, too. Talk uh, to us about the Nina Arribas College Fund. Did I say yeah. that right? Um, yeah, Niñas Arribas. Niñas Arribas. I knew yeah. there was something I missed. <laughs> so, the sh- I mean, the short story there, my wife and I, it was 2008, the economy was tanking, and we also were really feeling called to go do some mission work, um, and I'd always wanted to live live in Latin America again and and do mission work and help, you know, do something, uh, for the world, (laughs) you know, and we really love, I love Catholic programs that are out, you know, like a lot of Catholic volunteer programs are very much based on serving people. It's like serving people's needs. It's Mm. not based on like evangelism. It's based on, can they eat? Do you have, you know, education, you know? And so we went to go, um, we were sent to El Salvador, um, to Soyapango, which is a gang dominated part of San Salvador. If you've heard of, um, La Marasala Trucha or the MS-13 gang. This is basically where they're from. They're from Soyapango. And so we lived in Soyapango. We lived with nuns we, who didn't know we were gay. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, uh, there's a TV show. There's the TV show. I know. Well, and then it was really funny because we were supposed to live apart from each other. Like we were anyway, but they ended up, they were like, you know what? We're just going to put just... y'all in the same room in the nun's house. And we're like, okay. That was God being like, here you go, girls. Here you are. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, and then, you know, we spent our our lives at that school, and there was also a boarding school part of it. And so there was, like, 800 girls that went to the school, but there were about 15 that lived at the school. And so we wow. got to know them really well because we literally would wake up in the morning and we'd 5 a.m. and we were doing chores and then morning prayer and you know, um, eating and then everybody's going to school and then you're coming back and we're doing more chores. And we would try to like, we would try to make sure that they had, um, you know, that they had some fun, like, cause basically in a lot of, you know, third world countries, they don't understand that you can 
work to play. Like we work mm. to play here. They, or we live to play like, you know, and, and they live to work. Like work is life all the time, yeah. you know? And so the, there is no play, <laughs> um, you know, it's, and not that they can't have fun. I'm just, I'm just saying it's a very different environment to be in. And so we spent a lot of our time just saying like, Hey nuns, like, we're going to play basketball with the girls tonight. You know, we're going to go buy them hamburger meat. So they're not eating beans and rice every day. Like we're going to, you know, just try to do something different for them. And so it just felt wrong at the end of eight months of just like really being embraced by this community and having such an incredible time and really honestly receiving so much more love than we ever could give. Like it Aww. was definitely one of those, like, we're going to go do something good for the world. And then, God was very much like, you're going to be humbled and, you know, like, I'm going to show you that you're going to be served. Mm, you know I what I mean? That. It was, it was so beautiful. And so I think that's what really fueled it is that we were like, well, we can't just leave. Like, that just feels wrong. And Jody was the one that she said, why don't we start a college scholarship fund? And so we asked the girls, we were like, who wants to go to college? And like, everybody raises their hand and we're, and we're like, who's going to college? And everybody dropped their hand. You know, and it's you're in a third world country. They don't value education for women. They don't, you know, support it. It's also way expensive. Yeah. You know, they don't have the money to spend on it. And so we got home and started throwing benefit concerts. And, you know, wow. here we are 10 years later, and we've been able to put four young women through school. Um, and we have an, a paid internship program so that when they graduate, they can get experience at an international nonprofit that's incredible. Wow, that's incredible. And we just started, we have a, a cohort of two, two other uh, students right now who are going through their college programs. That's so awesome. I'll definitely link that as well so people can check it out and help. That's amazing. Okay. Well, speaking of play and fun, these <laughs> final questions I ask everybody on the Ooh, podcast. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. You can bring only three records with you to a deserted island. What would they be and why? Oh, gosh. I okay, um, Calle 13 Latinoamérica. No, sorry, uh, that's not the name of that album. The album is called Entren los que quieran. Cool. So Calle 13. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> yeah, spell it, They're spell from, it. Yeah, it's uh, C-A-L-L-E, Calle okay. like street. Oh, okay. Calle 13, which is 13. Oh, cool, um, okay. And they're from Puerto Rico. They're an incredible group that, you know, you could categorize as a, as a hip-hop group, but they're a lot more than that. Yeah, I love that album, Entren Los Que Quieran. Like, so good. Awesome. So good. I would say Brandy Carlisle. Is the album Firewatcher's Daughter? I'm, like, so bad at albums yes, now. Yes, Firewatcher's Daughter. Yeah, that's one of Fire, my favorites of hers. Daughter. Oh, okay. yes. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Every album of hers I want on the deserted island. That's the sad part. Is like, yeah. yeah. How can you pick um, this one? And then Natalia Laforcade, uh, Musas. Musas. So, although cool. Natalia Laforcade's got a lot of good ones. That's okay. Hard, it's hard to pick, but. Yeah. Awesome. Ooh, this is good. This is like my favorite part of doing this show because then I get new playlists <laughs> of all the albums that all y'all say. And then I can have like, actually, we should do that. We should have like a Spotify list for harmonics for all the albums everybody has, has said. That's great. Thanks, Gina, for that no idea. No problem. What subject do you Google the most? Oh. <laughs> At the moment, I would say... I would say drum lessons. <laughs> oh, cool. Are you changing up your rhythm? It's not going to be rhythm guitar anymore. It's going to be, uh, you're going to start being a drummer? <laughs> I have a current project that I'm working on that I have to learn to be a drummer. So I'm currently, that's probably most of my Google things is like how to play. <laughs> Awesome. I mean, look, you can learn instruments on YouTube. My husband was just saying last night because I said something like, can you teach me this one song? He was like, Beth, it's called YouTube. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> OK, I love that. Cool. I like Sheila E. She's my favorite drummer. Uh, you're going to be the next Sheila E, Gina. I'm going to hold that there you space go. for you. Sheila E, watch out. Watch out. <laughs> Uh, actually knowing you, yeah, watch out. Uh, if you could stay one age the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Ooh, I think, I think I'm 38. I think I would, I think I would stay. I feel like the, I feel like the thirties are awesome. I freaking I love actually feel my thirties. Like the 40s are going to be great too. My like, friends, I'm like, oh yeah, my friends in their forties are like, the forties are even better. 
I'm down. I'm like so here for it. I love my, th- I'm 34 and I, th- I keep telling my little sister's in her 20s and I'm like, oh, just wait. It get, life gets so much better in your 30s. It's just better. You know yourself better. You, you don't people please all the time. <laughs> I'm like, there's so many things in your 30s that are just like, so I can't wait for the 40s too. That's great. Yeah, I'm there. All right. Ready for the Dolly question? Oh. Dolly Parton question. We always do a Dolly question. So true or false? Dolly met her hubby, Carl Dean, at a laundromat the first day she moved to Nashville. Oh, God. I have no idea. True. Yes. I feel like I should have changed up, like, met him the second week she moved to Nashville. Because pretty much it's all just Dolly trivia that I think is amazing. And it's usually true. So you got it right. Yay for Dolly. Okay. Final question. If you don't mind, close your eyes. Okay. Go into a blank room. What are you hearing? I think I'm just hearing the wind. What are you smelling? The sea. Mm. What are you tasting? Vegan ice cream. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's some good vegan ice creams. Odaly. Oh, my God. Okay. What are you touching? My wife's hand. What are you seeing? Seagulls. No, I love it. Thank you. Oh, this is awesome. I feel like you and I could do a part two where I could ask you all the other questions that I still have for you. But I feel like we covered actually some really cool stuff that I didn't research about you, like Uzbekistan. So that was awesome. Yay. Dig it. Dig it. Gina Chavez was so amazing. Obviously, you can see why I'm a comedian and not a musician like Gina Chavez. That was amazing. How powerful is she? How connected to not only her faith and spirituality, but to other cultures and to how music can cross cultural barriers and and bring us all together in harmony. And that's the whole point of harmonics. And I just love everything she does as a musician and activist and as a woman. If you want to learn more about the incredible Gina Chavez, you can go to GinaChavez.com. That's G-I-N-A-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. And on that website, you'll also find more information about the Niñas Arribas College Fund. This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs and is only possible with the superb leadership of executive producer Amy Reitenauer Jacobs and the entire team over at The Bluegrass Situation. I'm your host, Beth Bears. Until next time, always remember that creativity is healing and healing is creative. Thank you for listening.